0: Greater than 0% is a 501c3 nonprofit that's on a mission to share stories of organizations from around the world that are changing lives. We have weekly episodes featuring amazing nonprofits and monthly episodes interviewing top business executives. You can find us at gtzp.org on your preferred streaming or social media platforms.
1: Alrighty, thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode. Today we have Amy Javed, who's the president and CEO of A Wider Circle. Amy, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Alrighty. so per usual, we always start our episodes by hearing what the mission of, of the organization that we're interviewing. So what is the mission of A Wider Circle?
0: Sure, the mission of A Wider Circle is to advance equity in the greater Washington DC area by fostering the exchange of things such as goods, skills, and connections from neighbor to neighbor, and really using that as a platform to create long-term change.
1: All right. We'll get into that for sure. Cause I have some questions, uh, but why you, why is this something that you are committing your time and, and resources in and, and a good portion of your life to?
0: <laughs> well, I would say. Throughout my life, I've always been deeply committed to social service and working with highly vulnerable populations, whether that's sort of in my backyard or across the globe. Um, This particular organization was one that I visited many years ago, actually with my children as a parent chaperone on a class trip and was just taken by the way that they deliver services, the way that they welcome everyone to be involved in the service delivery um, and how they're really committed to that long term change. so, you know, a volunteer opportunity became a part-time job, became a full-time job, became here I am as the, as the president <laughs> and CEO. And frankly, I couldn't imagine doing anything
1: else. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So th- th- let's get a little bit into the history and, and um, actually before we do, let me dissect the, the, the mission statement. So change, you mentioned it twice, like what change, uh, why is there change needed? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. So we primarily work with folks who are experiencing poverty. And for most of them, the primary reason that they are experiencing poverty is birth. It's intergenerational challenges, it's structural and system related challenges. And so while we are a primary service delivery organization, a social service provider, and we do believe that direct service is really important, there are bigger issues and systems that need to be addressed, that need to be called out and that need to be changed to allow folks to access the full breadth of opportunities that probably you and I have had the chance to, to utilize in the course of our life, but that many of our neighbors do not.
1: right. Uh, talk to me about the history of the organization. So what, what was kind of the initial, and this could be either when you initially got started as a volunteer or the founding of the organization as far back as you want to, uh, to start.
0: Sure. So our organization is a little bit over 20 years old. Um, and it was founded on this, um, realization that it's actually easier across the country to get food to eat than a table to eat it at, and that many of our neighbors who are experiencing need and challenge um, can access food, sometimes can access clothing, can access some of those other basic items. But some of those larger items, like furniture, like a bed to sleep on, table to eat at, a desk to study at, are incredibly hard to come by. And there are not that many programs in the dc region or across the country um, that folks can do that as a result we do get calls from from detroit from alabama from florida asking if they can access our services so it was really started by this concept that in a region such as dc there was tremendous wealth right alongside tremendous need and in this region we have a lot of of transient folks they come in for um, political reasons, they work with a, a new administration, they come in for uh, academic reasons, they're studying, getting an advanced degree, they come in as diplomats. And after two, three, four, five years, they're leaving. And in most cases, they're not taking all of their large furnishings with them. So, how could we develop a place for those items to go? Well, what better place than to our neighbors who do not have those things? And it's a much better place, frankly, than the landfill, so it became a really nice model. Of dropping off items you don't need and allowing others to pick it up. It began in a small storage facility a few miles from where I'm now located, and we now have a 35,000 square foot warehouse of furniture redistribution, as well as an additional 15,000 square feet of offsite storage. From that realization, we recognize that once our neighbors have some of those basic needs, they can begin to think about some of the other challenges facing them be they employment, be they education, or be they neighborhood change. And so some of our other programs um, kind of were birthed following the development of our furniture program right? um, and are along that spectrum of both immediate and urgent need fulfillment, sort of midterm, which is sort of career support related issues, or some of our long-term and structural change, which includes our advocacy work, our family wraparound programs, and our neighborhood-based programming.
1: Yeah. Do you you know what, uh, if there were certain... Initial reasons 20 years ago where the idea of like starting the organization, providing furniture came up. Like what, what was the, the the cause of like this becoming an idea that was incepted?
0: Sure. So our founder, his name is Dr. Mark Bergill. He was a sociology professor, um, at American university. And he challenged his students to go out and do service, to ask them to better understand the issues of need in the region, go out and do service. And so a friend challenged him to do the same. And in that challenge, he delivered meals. And in delivering meals to neighbors, he was shocked to find that when they would open the door, they would not only welcome him with open arms and were so excited and grateful for his support and his visit, but how disheartened he was to see that many of those folks had fewer than five belongings. Many of them didn't have the bowl to eat the soup in that he gave them, didn't even have the can opener to open the can. Mm. And he thought something's wrong with this equation. And that we as a society can and should do better. And so that sort of inspired him to think about the sort of goods in exchange, especially in an area like this with some really tremendous wealth.
1: Yeah, the, 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 that was a really powerful statement that you said of, of the realization that sometimes or, or currently it's easier to get food to eat versus a table to eat at. Um, that's something I never heard before. Why do you think that is? Like, let's <laughs> understand that. Is is just cause running there's a lot of organizations and government support for food versus the, 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 the thought that a table is not as important as food or, or kind of what's the logic. Do you think?
0: I think there's actually two, um, two different parts to it. I think the first part is running a furniture program is hard.
1: Yeah. It requires <laughs> a
0: lot of space. It requires, it's like a, a master's class in supply chain logistics. Yeah, It requires a lot of labor. To move it, right? It requires machines, you know, that we have industrial strength steamers to ensure that I'm not giving away something that has bed bugs or body lice or something like that. So, just the logistics of running the operation is incredibly hard. Yeah, um, and very few areas have space like we are fortunate to have here to have a massive warehouse near an urban area. So, running the business is, I think, one reason. But I think the other reason is when you look at um, national level or local level budgets, um, furniture provision is not part of a typical housing budget, right? I'm not paying for someone's rent. I'm not giving them a housing unit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not clearing them for certain types of subsidized programming for housing. So we don't fit in a typical housing budget. We also don't fit in a typical basic needs budget because most basic need budgets relate to food and clothing. Yeah. Yeah. Food and clothing seem very easy for someone to donate. Oh, can you please, when you go to the market, can you get two extra cans of food and can you drop them off at this local church or food bank? It feels easy, tangible, and real. And we all know what that feeling is like to be hungry. Mm -hmm. It seems a little bit harder to say, oh, by the way, when you're going and buying your bed, can you buy four extras and can you drop them off at the local furniture bank?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Or
0: when you're moving, can you plan in enough time so that someone can come and pick up the items you're not moving so that they can go to someone who needs it? That that whole concept of actual furniture poverty is one that a lot of folks don't think of in the spectrum of housing stabilization, and they also don't realize the challenges in, in running it.
1: Furniture poverty. That's like the example you gave of the giving soup and people not having the bowls and, and the, the table for, for example, to have it, it's furniture poverty. Yep. And
0: the Long-term implications of what that means, right? Mm. Imagine trying to get up and do your job every day when you're sleeping on the floor, yep. when you have no heat or air conditioning, depending on what part of the country you live in, you have no table to eat at or things to eat with at the table, or if you're attempting to work from home, you don't have a desk to sit at. Yeah. You know, just those daily functions, you know, whether that's health, whether that's sleep, whether that's concentration, none of those things work as well as they should without the creature comforts of a home.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: that's not just the four balls in the roof. Those are the actual things you use when you're inside it.
1: Yep. Yep. At, at, what point in, in, in y'all's history, did you start adding additional services that you mentioned? Um, and, and what was the aha moment behind those?
0: So early on, in addition to sort of the furniture piece, um, the founder and other staff members would visit uh, local homeless shelters, they would visit halfway and transitional housing programs, and they would listen. And they would try and understand what are the other barriers? What are the challenges for you in excelling and in seeking all those opportunities? And for some folks, it was furniture. For some folks, it may have been a a stable place to live or Hmm. a bed to sleep on. But for some, it was someone to sit and understand their specific and unique circumstances on their career journey, someone to help prepare them for an interview when the interviewer asks, why haven't you been employed for the past five years? Yeah. Um, or someone who could look at some of the, the opportunities that their children may be able to access when the family themselves didn't have a car to get them to those opportunities. So someone who was really sitting side by side, sort of leading with love and compassion and trying to understand the barriers and the opportunities and how to make that fit. And so some of those began very organically, but the the program that sort of came to the fore that I was actually initially hired to be a part of was our workforce development program, which we now call career support. And it was this recognition that there are a lot of workforce programs around the region, around the country. And many of them you have to have specific um, eligibility requirements fulfilled either proof of income proof of certain types of advantage or disadvantage proof of identity proof of any number of things and many of those programs also either silo you into a specific industry or have you result in a specific certification but don't necessarily then help you get or keep the job once you have that certification right And so we really wanted to be more universal in our approach, really talking to folks and saying there are some some soft skills, some emotional intelligence skills, some networking skills that any job seeker can utilize. And so that sort of became the nexus of workforce. And then it was, okay. how do we take some of these services and put them directly in some of the most impacted neighborhoods in our region, as opposed to always expecting those neighbors to come to us? And so that became the nexus of the next program. And so it was always very organic and it was always very much driven by listening to our neighbors and our clients, hearing what they need or hearing what they're not finding elsewhere and providing that.
1: Right. Wow. and, and when was the workforce program initiated?
0: Sure. So the program certainly began in the 2015, 2016 era, and it was called education. And it was Mm. called that because it had some workforce components. It had some other life skill components. um, It even had some food and nutrition related components. When I came on in, in 2017, it really honed in on workforce development. And in particular, the gaps in other workforce programs around the region. There are some incredible placement agencies in this region. There are some incredible vocational and technical programs in this region. But there was not really any program that was universal, that someone could come who had not finished their GED or someone who could come with a master's and we would serve both of them equally. Someone who could come in, who was interested in the medical field, someone else who could come, who was interested in education, someone else could come and say, I don't really know what I want to do, but I know I have to pay my rent. So I have to work someplace and that all of them could come and benefit from the program and approach that we were offering.
1: Yeah. How over the past 20 years and in, in the different programmings that you have, how are you measuring the impact of those? Uh, is it like however many furniture items you've donated or is there like a sustainability component of, you know, minimizing carbon footprint through this process of being able to reuse furniture, which is huge and obviously not an individual to the person who's getting the furniture impact, but more so environmentally. And then also on the workforce development side, I'm curious as to the measurements.
0: I think measurements, um, should be an ongoing and required discussion among all nonprofits, because I do think that the easiest way that people measure is, well, how many people walked in your door? Yeah, that is one measure, (laughs) right? How many clients called us yesterday? Sure. Um, or how many people got furniture from us yesterday? Mm -hmm. Well, well, that's great, but that's one tiny measurement of sort of a mechanism of a, a service. It's not a measurement of change. Mm. And so one of the things that we've tried to do is before a client, for example, for furniture comes in, we ask them a few questions that help us better understand, say their stability, like how many times have you moved in the past 12 months? How many times have you been unable to pay your rent? Um, if you have multiple family members, have you had to split up your family so that all of you have a safe place to sleep? So we look at some of those things and then we call them a month after they've received our services and we ask them other impact related questions, including things like, do you feel comfortable enough now with your home furnishings to invite someone over? Do you Mm. feel proud enough about your space um, and have that confidence that you want to welcome someone in? And then again, the other questions of how many times do you anticipate moving and things like that? Right.
1: After so benchmarking try, initially, exactly. right? Exactly.
0: So we do try and have some of those typical output measurements. How many people came in? Where did they live? What's their average income? All of those things. But, but what's more important and actually what's harder is sort of measuring that, that change. And that change may be someone goes from unemployed to employed. It may be someone goes from feeling very unstable in their housing. To feeling not only stable, but confident in their home. Um, so there's, that's the person side of it. And then of course you mentioned the environmental side of it. I mean, the fact that, uh, we partnered for example, between January and June of this year with three hotels that were getting decommissioned, saving 15,000 pieces from the landfill. And that's just in, you know, less than a six month span. And we have many other hotels and universities and corporate apartments. That call us on a regular basis offering all of those items so there is an environmental impact we also partner with groups that after we receive things for example we are one of the few places that you can donate your gently used mattress it can't mm. be ripped it can't be stained it can't be torn it needs to be what we call in dignity condition but if you donate it to us and for some reason we're like yeah, it's not quite not quite up to that standard we have a place in the back of our building where we store that, and we have a partner who comes and then recycles every single piece of the mattress. So we no longer are bringing any mattresses to the landfill. Wow. Mattresses are one of the biggest and most challenging pieces in a landfill. Yeah, So yeah. to be able to measure the decrease in the number of trips we take to the landfill, to be able to measure the number of mattresses that go back to that, what we call the pod, to measure the number of mattresses that come in and then go straight to clients. All of those, in my mind, are also the environmental impact measures um, to support kind of the ecosystem on many levels is really kind of quite a blessing from, from our perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you are, are there any benefits for you as an organization to partake in just that that recycling aspect of of the mattresses like why is it something that you you as an organization would invest resources in if it's you know not not maybe i don't know if you get like government if there's any perks or or whatnot that you get for doing that or is it just out of the the, the mission <laughs> well
0: i mean i think it's a couple things i mean obviously are there perks yes is it um does it feel more um uh feel better to my team to say, we're not going and throwing all these things away. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. But I I do think, you know, this, this concept of sort of the circular economy Mm. is one that I I really believe in. And I, I think that there are so many things that people, um, use and then dispose of very quickly that can with either a little bit of love or almost no additional input can be used again by somebody else. So how can we give, you know, this sofa, a new home? Right. And I think one of the examples is many, many years ago, actually before I was working with the organization, a client came in and had an appointment for furniture and was able to go with a sofa and a love seat, beautiful color, blue, royal blue sofas. Fast forward several years, this person is now stably employed. This person is now has their own apartment. This person calls us and asks us to pick up that sofa and love seat, has kept it in pristine condition and was so excited to turn around and give it to another client who will come and wow. shop. To- furniture. So there's that benefit as well. There's sort of that human connection benefit of, of connecting and knowing how valuable this service is on so many different levels, be it environmental, be it social service, be it just understanding that I can do something good for somebody else in a way that seems very easy and seems very natural. And, and that even my kids can understand.
1: Yeah. So curveball question here. Why do you feel like it is your responsibility as a human to tackle these big challenges and changes? <laughs> or do you feel it's your responsibility? Yeah, I don't want to say why, but okay. 100% I feel it's my responsibility. 100% I 100% feel like it's everybody's responsibility,
0: yeah, yeah. right? Um, I, I reference again, sort of coming here and doing that field trip with my child who at the time was in kindergarten. And I remember one of the staff members saying, that they accepted volunteers from age four to 94. And at first I kind of laughed it off. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, it's just a thing. It's their stick, you know, and then they began to talk about why it was important to engage four-year-olds and how those four-year-olds could understand the difference between something being donated. That was clean, something that was donated, that was dirty, something that matched, something that they'd feel comfortable or proud of sharing with their best friend or their cousin or their parent and how sort of sharing those lessons at that young age allowed those kids to realize the the role they play and I thought this is brilliant because the second that you can make that type of contribution simple the more people will get engaged yeah. if they feel it's too hard they're not going to do it nobody's going to do it right um, you know learning to be a mechanical engineer is really complicated which is why not everybody does it but if everybody recognizes that hey I have a neighbor I can help my neighbor I can help my neighbor by dropping off professional clothes. I don't wear anymore. I can drop off, you know, the sofa or the dishes because I'm redecorating. I can offer to do an informational interview for someone who's trying to learn networking skills. I can deliver bags of household goods to a neighborhood that doesn't, that's in a food desert. I can do any or all of those things in a matter of minutes.
1: And,
0: And so why not? Um, and, and so I do think that not only is it sort of my responsibility, but I, I think that in this role I have a responsibility of sharing with other people how it's their responsibility and actually how easy it is to embody that responsibility.
1: Okay. Yep. It's not as big of a lift or of a commitment as you think and it's especially and, if everybody's yep. doing it. Yep, exactly. Well, it's a good great transition to to engagement. So um but before we do engagement, what what do you hope a wider circle is in the next 20 years
0: (laughs) on the one hand i'd love to say i hope we don't exist
1: yeah yeah i hope
0: that some of the larger systemic issues that we are really faced with right now are no longer those large systemic issues now that being said i think there's a path that is going to take a while and so part of what i hope is that those who are experiencing poverty truly become the leaders of this organization and the leaders in those calls for change. You know, I, I was talking to the team this morning who runs our DC office, and they were having an event one day, and there was a challenge with one of the, the clients who was in the space. And the neighbors, the other residents who were in that space, were the ones that said, hey, this this space is special. We feel safe in this space. and And what you're doing is disrupting that sense of safety and that sense of belonging. And we don't think it makes sense for you t- to be a part of this, unless you can sort of follow those guidelines and that sense of resident leadership and ownership, that sense of those most impacted coming to the front. Like that's it, like that's where it should be in 20 years. I can lead, I can do all sorts of things in my role, but I will never fully understand what it's like to experience poverty. So it I will never be the best advocate because I don't have that experience. Yeah. So how can I be um, someone who empowers others to truly be at the fore and and have their voice, um, their most important voice? Yeah. Like sort of the one that people hear more.
1: Yeah, awesome. And then um, your, your services wise, continue crushing it with the, the furniture aspect, the workforce development aspect. Um, I'm wondering what you hope of, of those aspects or those services that you provide in the future.
0: I think every program does have its sort of natural learning curves. And there are times that you employ, you know, five new initiatives. And then there are times that those sort of, that, that has a natural life and sort of moves on. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think workforce development is a really great example. You know, when I first joined our program was really around what I would call the basics of, um, how to fill out a job application, how to write a resume, um, how to practice for an interview. And it was a little bit less of how to problem solve you know if on day two your child is sick and you can't go in how do you have that conversation with your boss right if suddenly you have transportation barriers because your car no longer is functioning and you have to figure out how to get there by bus how do you tell your supervisor that you might be late a little bit more often right like how do you have some of those sort of emotional intelligence and problem solving things um and so we shifted particularly during the pandemic, to better meet the needs of the clients and really better listen to what they were asking for. And so that program has evolved. I presume it'll evolve again. You know, we have a wraparound family support program that um, is in year five of five. So that's the first cohort. We've just launched a second cohort and said, you know what? Five years is a little too long and daunting to talk about in year one. So what if we talk about it as a know two to three year program and if at the end of those two to three years someone wants to stay engaged they can do that so i think evolution is critical especially in social service as the economy changes as we all face a global pandemic all of those things are learning points and we have to adapt and be flexible to them just like we have to adapt and be flexible to what we hear from our clients
1: yep yep awesome engagement so listeners what could they do to get engaged? Uh, what type of engagement do you look for?
0: Sure. So I, I go back to everybody can do something.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Time, talent, and treasure sort of lots of nonprofits talk about this. Um, in terms of time, we will um, uh, really be bolstered by close to 10,000 volunteers every year. And they're of all ages and they come with schools and with faith organizations and with companies and, and the like. So people can volunteer their time. And there are activities they can do that are on-site here in Silver Spring. There are activities they can do in our in our DC office, and there are things they can even do at home and, and bring in. Um, and time is incredibly valuable. We're a staff of 63, but we serve tens of thousands of people every year. And so that, that extra labor is really helpful. And some of our volunteers are so incredibly talented, we couldn't do it without them. Um, the, the treasure piece actually is twofold, right? Many nonprofits will say, you can give us money. Yes, of course you can give us money and we very much appreciate it. We need to keep the lights on and implement new and innovative programs. But we do receive tons, thousands of tons of stuff.
1: Every year. <laughs> and, and tons, of that, the actual weight tons. <laughs> actual weight tons <laughs> yeah. yes. um,
0: and that includes professional clothing. That includes, you know, staple pantry items, non-perishable items that includes house, housewares, and that includes furniture. And so as people think about you know, downsizing, changing their own sizes, you know, lots of people dropped off during COVID and said, I'm never gonna wear this suit and tie again, I'm happy to give it away. Um, or thinking I'm at the grocery store and you know, pasta's on sale, so I'm gonna get a few extra boxes and drop them off. So that, that piece of, of the, the treasure, kind of the in-kind goods that we call them. And that is also critically important. We do not buy any of the furniture we distribute we do not buy any of the home goods we do not buy any of the clothing we do not buy any of the those sorts of things that we regularly redistribute we 100 percent rely on our neighbors be they commercial and companies or be they individuals and families and so that that in-home and in-kind goods is is really important um, and then the talent right there are people who are in this community who may have an hour to do uh, a workshop They may have an hour to do an informational interview. They may come in and say, you know, I run a supply chain company and I'd love to talk to you about your inventory system for these thousands of pieces of goods that move through your space every day. So I think there's lots and lots of ways of engagement. I actually firmly believe there's an engagement space for everyone, not only at a wider circle, but at many other nonprofits. And I encourage people to think creatively about what those levels of engagement could be. And then of course there is the the financial engagement for some folks life does not allow them at this point to be involved in a way other than writing a check and a check is very valuable
1: Mm -hmm. it
0: allows us to have flexible funding to try new things it allows us you know when certain funders and things are on a a delay in payment to actually keep the lights on and keep those 63 people employed and to keep our programs moving forward so time talent and treasure in all of the ways that they mean are critically important to, to engagement for us.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, we covered a lot, um, where on the website, Twitter sphere of the world can all people also get connected with you and also sure. contact information. <laughs>
0: no, Absolutely. So our website is a wider circle with an a, so at the front a wider circle.org. org. Um, and there's a place on there to sign up for our monthly emails and to sign up for other materials. Um, We're on LinkedIn under the same name. Um, We are on uh, Twitter, I guess, and Instagram um, as well. We're not on TikTok. People have asked us that, so we're not quite there yet. (laughs) Um, And uh, there's lots of pages on our website, in particular, that talk about how to get engaged, how to volunteer. What are the kinds of things we're looking for in terms of in-kind donations? What are some of the programs that we're seeking funding for? So yeah. all of those things are, are on our website. Um, and I think people can also call us, people can stop in for a tour. I tell folks all the time that one of the best ways to learn about us is to come and visit, mm-hmm. it's a pretty incredible experience to stand sort of in our showroom and watch 20 families per day, come in, pick an entire household worth of furniture. Have it loaded in their truck, and wow. know that that night each of them are going to be sitting at that table or sleeping on that bed. I mean, it's wow. to walk to drive over. I drove over this morning, and there were probably ten U-Hauls just lined up in a row, and those are all families who tonight are going to have their house feel much more like a home. And yeah. that, that's transformational. So I definitely encourage people to come and visit us as well. Wow.
1: Well, is there anything else you want to leave us with, or that we didn't cover before we wrap up here, Amy?
0: Sure. I will say that on our website, there are also Amazon wish lists for particular Mm -hmm. products that are harder to come by or harder to donate. And in October, we have what's called our Neighbor to Neighbor Night, which is sort of our annual gala. Um, It is here in our primary showroom so people can sort of see the warehouse and operate. So we certainly encourage folks. And there's information on the website that's on October the 5th. And so we call folks who are interested to come and learn more, sign up and attend as well.
1: Amazing. Well, Amy, thank you so much for your time. We're honored to share the work that you're doing and in um, making people's lives that much better by providing more than just um, the actual apartment, providing the actual furniture and uh, the workforce development and and helping the community uh, by giving and connecting all these people with all these items and and resources. So thank you so much for your time, Amy, and, and uh, we're honored to share this story.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Greater Than Zero Percent. To find more episodes or to have your organization featured on the podcast, you can find us at gtzp.org on your preferred streaming or social media platforms. Find your cause with Greater Than Zero Percent.